0: We came for salvation, we came for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away. Aloha. Welcome to the Layman's we Lounge podcast, the a ministry of thelaymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life, so send any questions, comments, gift cards rebukes to jason at thelaymanslounge.com today we have on the phone or on the line rather one of my favorite guys maybe like maybe top five guys that i've read that's a ear tickle i know i think every time it comes on i tickles his ear and it's, it's true though but chad bird oh my gosh the the graceful pin of chad bird and that this tone you know he probably sings great He's got a beard that goes down to his nipples right now. This thing's looking so good. Uh, he is author of one of the best books of 20. 20- oh my gosh, I'm not a bootlicker. It's true. Whatever. I talk the same way about Craig Bartholomew. I don't know if you know that guy, but that guy is such a solid- There's a few people who really could overlap with living your normal life with like high doctrine if- or whatever. So anyways, Chad Bird, he's the author of The Christ Key unlocking the centrality of christ in the old testament yes please that's from the folks at 1517 publications and he's the co-host of literally the best podcast on the internet better than layman's lounge yes it's called 40 minutes in the old testament and it's so good there's just a couple guys i feel like you i feel like you could sell that as a subscription and it would be it would be worth it so anyways brother Thank you. Merry Christmas. What are you listening to? Like Merle Haggard Christmas? Like (laughs) like, who who do you listen to in Texas? Are you from New Mexico or Texas, by the way?
1: Well, I I was born in New Mexico, but and this is a this is like a trope for Texans. Uh, If you're born outside the state, what you say is I was born in blank, but I got to Texas as quick as I could. That's what we (laughs) say. So I was born in New Mexico, but I got to Texas as quick as I could. So. Yeah, as I was born there, raised pretty much in, in Texas, and then uh, I've lived a lot of different places, Midwest for a while, Oklahoma for a while. I've been back in, in Texas since uh, around 2006, I guess, seven, something like that. So yeah, and I'm I married a Texas girl. She's never lived outside the state. So he's uh, a real deal. You're a poser. <laughs> yeah. So we're here for good.
0: Well, kind of. <laughs> Thanks for the
1: introduction, man. This is, this is great to be on be, be on here with you talking about what is uh, undoubtedly my favorite subject, Christ in the Old Dude, Testament.
0: You're so good. And Melchizedek. That you're gonna try to squeeze Melchizedek anywhere you can in here. It's so good. <laughs> I got to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's obligatory.
0: <laughs> so, okay. Here we go. One of the three most life challenging and edifying moments in my life literally one of the top three i can name them is when i when i was listening to um one of the episodes of you guys' podcast uh 40 minutes in old testament and you guys brought to clarity that something that had been otherwise totally bizarre and that's that extremely bizarre story of jacob and esau and like The meat, you know, and like clothing and hairy skin and a blessing. It's like, what in the world? You can't even hear like bad preachers butcher that. They don't even go there. Like, uh, let's just skip that one. Um, that really what you guys did there sort of marked me, or it did it, it just really like hit a switch. That's all it did. Hmm. It's like it just you you essentially just gave me a, a tool bag. You gave me a key, if you will. And that's all mm-hmm. I did, and, and I'm able to duplicate that. It's nothing crazy now. It's just I'm so. Um, anyways, I think what happened to me is best explained by what you say in the book, where you say, "Quote: If the Bible was hyperlinked, you'd be hard pressed to hunt down a single verse without multiple words hyperlinked to other words in other verses in other books in both Testaments." End quote. So, what is this? hyperlinking, and, and why did I get so stoked about finally understanding Jacob and Esau?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the hyperlinking, uh, I, I took that uh, from somebody, borrowed that image from somebody, but you know, actually works well. Of course, we hyperlink on the web, and the web is all about interconnections, and that's really what the scriptures are all about, too. Another image that you can use is that of layering. Uh, you can imagine, as I like to imagine, Genesis 1 through 3 as the not just the opening three chapters of the Bible, but really that that's that deepest foundation for the rest of the scriptures. Uh, One of these days, I'm going to write a book where I just basically take those three chapters and construct a whole biblical theology out of them because you've really got everything there. Obviously, you have creation in all of of its various parts, kind of the creation in the big picture, but also Mm -hmm. the smaller picture of the creation of humanity. Mm -hmm. You've got the uh, you got Eden, they've got, and you got the garden within Eden, which, uh, as I explained in the Christ Key, is the first temple or sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You got Adam and Eve, who are also kings and queens. They're priest in a way, serving at the garden. And then, of course, you have sin in Genesis three. You have the promise in Genesis three. It's just so much that is compressed within those mm-hmm. those first three chapters, and that then becomes the foundation upon which everything else rests. Mm-hmm. And so the next layer you could say is Genesis 4 through the rest of Deuter- through Deuteronomy. And then every layer builds on top of the other layer. And as it does, there is a an interconnectedness to it, to where certain words, phrases, images, persons, types are going to come up again and again. And you can't really understand one apart from the other. You can't just look at this one little section of scripture and understand the scriptures. You have to look at, look at, how this fits into the entirety of, of the biblical story. So, you know, Joshua is going to refer back to Deuteronomy and Isaiah is going to refer back to Judges and the Psalms are going to refer to stuff all over the place. So reading the Bible sometimes kind of feels like you're just jumping here and there. You're going backwards, you're going forwards, you're going up, you're going down because there's all of these amazing connections. And what I found is that the more that you immerse yourself in the biblical story, the more that you learn the, the stories themselves, a the particular language it's used, the more you're go- your mind is just going to be literally racing all over the place yes. as it picks yeah. up on all of these all yeah. of these connections. and But not in a confusing way, yeah. in a beautiful way, because yeah. everything starts to kind of come together. Like you were talking about with Jacob and Esau, you're like, oh, I see how that fits with this. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I see how those two things fit with those four things. And, yes. and anyway, that's just the, that's one of the, for me, one of the, the exciting things and the pleasures of, of studying the scriptures.
0: I can't wait for that book because I would say in in my own life, if there were like, what were the two things that really I've I've been needing to hear? And that was a, you know, this word gets overused, but I'm going to say it, but a robust doctrine of creation. Mm -hmm. And then essentially just the gospel, like a (laughs) true, you know, not the like functional Catholic gospel, you know, that I've been, that I've been operating under, but the true guy. And like, and so in this book, I, I wasn't expecting what you gave us. I was expecting just like a, your insights on just sort of a uh, hermeneutical biblical theology. And you just hit a few things, but whoa, that was not what we got. I mean, you you get the method in there, but you give us a lot more. So um trying to think, how can I make this episode Christmas? Right. Cause it's this cool, <laughs> this, this snowy December morning over here in Hawaii, and then uh, <laughs> you're in Texas. So uh, you yeah, this is a good line. It's only fitting we start here. You say, quote, one might dare say that jingling in Eden were the first Christmas bells. End oh, yes, quote. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you hit, can you, I mean, like in, in a little bit, we'll zoom out. Well, anyways, can you, can we just almost start with this almost as a, a case study to carry us yeah. through this conversation or. What what tune were those bells playing, and, and what was and yeah. it, what was the crescendo?
1: <laughs> yeah, that is actually a, it's a great connection to the season that we're in now. That's in a section where I'm talking about the the image of God and what that means, and that's in the broader chapter where I'm discussing the the appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. So when we talk about Christ in the Old Testament, a lot of people kind of jump to the conclusion that we're talking about prophecies of of his coming which you know of course that that is part of how he's there he's his birthplace his his mother what he's going to do all of that's prophesied in the old testament yeah without a doubt but it's not as if jesus waits until matthew chapter one before he makes his grand appearance he's -hmm. not sitting up in heaven waiting to come down he appears multiple times and if you want to we can get to those a little bit later on such as the messenger of messenger of yahweh but the point i'm making in that particular section and the way it ties in with christmas is that Here you are in the garden, and God is getting his hands dirty. He's making Adam. He's making Adam from Adama. He's making Adam from the the dirt of the earth, breathing into his breath, breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Of course, he puts Adam into this deep sleep. He makes Eve from his side. And so here you have the first two human beings. Now, we are told that in Genesis 1 that they're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, notice the preposition they're made in the image in the likeness now fast forward we're going to do this hyperlink stuff so fast forward you're going to click on that hyperlink in genesis 1:26, and bam another window is going to open up and in that window are all these passages in the new testament which also talk about the image of god except these passages talk about not the one in the image but the image himself mm-hmm. so who is the image of god christ the son of the father he is the image you take that, you run back to Genesis 1, and you realize, oh, okay, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, and the image of God is Christ himself. Mm-hmm. So yes. what happens over the course of the, the entire biblical narrative is that people who are made in, in the image of God are walking, talking, icons, if you will, mm-hmm. foreshadowings mm-hmm. of the very God whom they image. Mm-hmm. So, what's happening in the creation of, of Adam and Eve is that we have here a kind of prophecy of the incarnation. Mm-hmm. The one in whose image they are made will one day take on that very flesh and blood of, of Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes. that's why I said that uh, in Eden, you can already hear jingle bells. <laughs> you get the first, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in the Garden of Eden because right, right. already there you see this uh, hint of what is, uh, what is
0: to come. And the other line in in the quote, or in the the book, you say, Eden was fulfilled in Bethlehem. What? Oh, man, it was a, let me see where it was here. In the the book, you you talk about how creation, (laughs) your analogies are so good, but in the book, you talk about how creation, like, just wasn't just like a side hustle for Mm -hmm. God. (laughs) but it like it was his jam and then you talk about creation and redemption aren't like two sort of distinct divine activities but there's more to this story can you can you hit us with that goodness
1: yeah yeah so i I do think that people kind of get the impression that yeah god is a creator he did all that he got everything going uh but then you know once everything fell apart in genesis chapter three god is Almost completely preoccupied with saving people. Mm, mm. So he was the creator. It was all well and good. He did a great job. We screwed it up. And now it's like he has to clean up our messes. He has to redeem us, rescue us. But and and what happens is salvation or redemption ends up being categorized as something different from creation. Yeah. And what I argue is that no, no, no. What what salvation or redemption are are the ongoing recreative work of God, mm-hmm. because what mm-hmm. happens after Genesis chapter three is that God is constantly bringing us back into some kind of goodness of creation, mm-hmm. the same goodness mm-hmm. that was there in Genesis chapter one. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, what is a tabernacle? What is the temple? Mm-hmm. They are the Neo Edens, the new Edens that are going to be the place where fallen Adam and Eve's can retreat in order to be purified, to be made good again. Mm -hmm. So what's happening at the tabernacle and temple is God is engaged in the recreative work of purifying, sanctifying his people. Mm -hmm. And this all then prepares the way for what, of course, the work of Christ is. Mm -hmm. And Paul even says it explicitly. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Mm -hmm. So Christ comes as a second Adam, God in the flesh, in order to bring about a regenesis of the world, except we gain more in Christ than we lost in Adam. Mm-hmm. The redemption we have in him is better than the creation that we had in Adam. Mm-hmm. Because when we're joined to the new Adam, to, to Christ himself, we are not only joined to the perfect human being, but we are joined to the perfect human being who is simultaneously God himself. Yeah, yeah. So we have a connection directly to directly to God. So the main point is that, is God our Savior? Yes. And he saves us by engaging in the work of re creation Mm -hmm. so god is the creator that kind of is the all-encompassing term for everything that he does Mm -hmm. it just we see different manifestations of that in the various kinds of work that that he does with humanity
0: can you like nuance a little bit more like when you say the main point is this the creation of humanity is a prophecy of the incarnation like you had said that earlier and in the book so i'm thinking okay if we're gonna use this language of, you could change it as you want, but sort of creation, fall, redemption, if you will. Pre-fall, pre-fall, I don't know if the way to say it is, well, what was the role of Jesus, if you will? Was there, pre-fall, are are there types and shadows or whatever to Jesus um, and his work, um, even though at the time, if you will, there was no—I mean, this could go really deep. I don't even know. Yeah, I think I, I know where you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. What? what you, yeah. Hit me with something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even before sin and death enter the world, is God already planning the incarnation? I guess is—is—is mm-hmm. is, is that kind of what you're getting at?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It is. And yeah. Yeah. And then almost, I might even say where, if you could hit that, and I'll even throw this in. You know, like a type the Kyperian I am, I would say like the creation mandate, you know, this notion to take dominion and cultivate and name or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It it often seems very distinct from the work of um, of redemption, right? They almost seem like, like you always said like that you were opposite mm-hmm. what you were saying, but yeah. Is there, are, are there types and shadows in that or is that its own thing? Like that's the task that, that, that humanity was supposed to do. And then uh, Jesus sort of like, Brings us back into that, or he does it for it, or just yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, to the first question, I there does seem to be it, it's a little bit difficult to answer because a lot of it I feel like I'm just kind of uh guessing here, but there does seem to be the suggestion that even if that even before sin and death, there was this idea that at least the possibility was open that God himself would become incarnate. Mm. Uh, now, of course, it's it's kind of hard to say because we, we're working with the story we have, and so. Anytime we say, you know, the what ifs theologically, I know. I kind of love that. I, I didn't what write this if one on. I'm never had been So I always want to hedge my bets there a little bit. Uh, now, with regard to the second question, I'm glad you asked that. So um, the mandate that we have in Genesis 1, you know, to subdue the earth and be fruitful and multiply and do all those things, I like to think of that. And this is by no means original with me, but I like to think of that as the true and original Great Commission not Matthew 28. In fact, what I would do is I would say that Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the great commission of chapter one of Genesis, just put into new Testament language. So here's what's happening. God says to Adam and Eve, I want you to basically exercise my reign. Adam and Eve are his Mm co-regents exercise my reign on earth. Now, what that means practically speaking is that first of all, they have to have kids. Be fruitful and multiply, because God doesn't want just two human beings; He wants a whole family. Well, think about it. We'll do our "what if" again. What if Adam and Eve had not sinned? Well, then they would have had kids, and those kids would have had kids, and pretty soon, you've got a geographically circumscribed place. You've got a small area called Eden, and even smaller area in Eden called the Garden. Oh yeah. You're gonna run out of room. You gotta, you gotta build. You gotta expand. So, the rest of the earth is, it's, it's, it's good. It's very good but it's not perfectly prepared for the habitation of humanity. yeah. And yeah. that's why the verb that's used there for subdue the earth is a, uh, is a verb that has kind of a, a rough edge to it, a raw edge to it. To, mm-hmm. When you subdue the earth, it's kind of like, you know, a guy who moves to wherever is going to have a farm, but he's looking at a bunch of trees. He's got to subdue the earth. He's got to chop those trees down. He's got to yeah, get the roots yeah. up. He's got to plow the soil. So that's what Adam and Eve and their descendants would have done. They would have Edenized the world acre mm-hmm. by acre,
0: mm-hmm.
1: have more kids, subdue mm-hmm. the earth, be co-regents of God on earth. Now what happens, of course, that, that plan falls apart in Genesis 3, but what, what Christ does is he reinstitutes that, but in a different sort of way. Because what happens now is that the family of God in Jesus Christ is subduing the earth. Mm -hmm. we are taking the kingdom of god acre by acre throughout the entire world so what we're doing is we are fulfilling that original great commission in genesis chapter one by means of our work as the ambassadors of god here on earth Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. so you kind (laughs) of got
1: you got two great commissions but really it's just kind of the two sides of that same that same
0: mandate or that same commission i love i love hearing that from you brother um where I'm ready for that book, that, that forthcoming book from you on the three chapters of Genesis, uh, of the first three chapters of Genesis. <clears throat> so, something else you say, you do like kind of a good job in the book of just y- you. Uh, I would formally come to the Bible like, all right, here's 66 books to be just like, um, to pull out some tweets, each pull out a tweet from each one or do something with systematized or something but you sort of give us like a really helpful framework which isn't, you know, novel but what you but you know for many it is and you you so what do you mean for example when you say we might think of the five books of Moses as a mini bible and then you sort of build on more amount throughout the rest of your book i think that's very very helpful can you can you unpack that one
1: yeah it's kind of like a an expansion of what i said about genesis 1 through 3 if mm. you take the torah which uh the rabbis all consider to be basically what i said there it's like the mini bible it's like you've got everything there if you so if you take the torah uh, what else do you need to know right you you know you you know about humanity you know about creation you know about god's choice of israel you got the, the promise of the seed you got the exodus you've got the ten commandments you've got all of this compressed into the torah in fact the rabbis would say that everything that that all the prophets and the wise men after moses after Moses, everything they said was nothing more than an expansion and application of what had already been said to Moses. That's awesome. So, and 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 in a very uh very strange and singular fashion, Martin Luther and the rabbis actually agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most of the time, Martin Luther's like castigating the rabbis. Oh right. he's a typical <laughs> typical German, probably throwing in some profanity there knowing Martin Luther. <laughs> but uh but in that way he agrees he's got uh, i think it's maybe from the introduction to psalm 90 anyway he he says that that all the wisdom of moses was the foundation upon which all the prophets and apostles and and apostles Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. built so Mm -hmm. everything everything was there and that's that's why personally i go back time and time again to the torah that's why in the book we go back always to especially to genesis but other Mm -hmm. books other books as well Mm -hmm. that is you take away the foundation, take away the Torah foundation of the scriptures and everything
0: kind of falls apart. Totally. totally. So. so here we have the, the, the first five books sort of that are founded, not sort of foundational like they are. And then you have the rest of the Old Testament that sort of expounds or explains or builds upon that. And then if you can unpack this, this quote from from your book, this same Moses centrality holds true for the apostles as well. Study Romans, Galatians, Peter's epistles, Hebrews, James, or Revelation, and ask yourself, why do these authors quote or allude to the Torah much more frequently than they do the words of Jesus? That's, that is a very good question. Quo- and you, you keep going, because, because no gospels have been written? No, that can hardly be the reason. Even if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not yet written, the teachings and sayings of Jesus would have been circulating orally. Then why does Moses get more apostolic press than Christ's own words? This is a question I always wondered. I'm like, why are they never quoting Jesus? I feel like this is a question everyone has, but no one even frames it in their mind. Anyway, can you can you can you give us a little something there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a
1: question that I struggled with for a long time too. I mean, it, in, in my <laughs> church tradition, for instance, we have uh, we have three readings every Sunday we've got an old testament reading and then we've got uh, a reading usually from one of the epistles sometimes from acts but usually mm. one of the epistles or revelation mm. and then we have a, a third reading and it's always from one of the four gospels mm. now we sit for the old testament we sit for the epistle but we rise for the gospel out of reverence for the words of jesus it's mm. a you know it's not just in my tradition but it's pretty pretty widespread so the words of jesus of course i mean they're they're hugely significant mm. so why aren't they quoted by paul or or john you know these or peter i mean these guys were with him (laughs) and the reason that i that i come down to that i indicate in that particular section you read is because listen what did jesus always do what did jesus constantly refer his disciples back to moses and the prophets moses and the prophets everything written about me moses and the prophets had to be fulfilled as a good jew jesus was always going back to to the torah so I think what's happening is there is that the Moses that the prophet, excuse me, the apostles actually took Christ's words at face value. Mm-hmm. They said Jesus says these words are all about Him. So when we're talking about Moses, when we're quoting from the prophets, we're doing nothing more than quoting Jesus' own words. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. are these are the words by Him and about Him. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> their uh, their focus upon the words of Moses is an implicit affirmation of what Jesus had already taught them, that Mm -hmm. these
0: words are by him and about him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you said, another quote from the book, you said, quote, the majority of Christians prefer to meander down the the well-worn paths of the smaller New Testament garden than to venture among the weird and wild prophetic fauna of the Tanakh. And I, end quote. I fully agree. Um, but I get the urge to say in the New Testament, like the New Testament is like, this is, this is like my default thinking. The New Testament is like high concentrated, ready to go for me in the today context stuff, you know. So why should I read through chapters and chapters of long winded, repetitive, like so repetitive, like, are they are they hammering this on stone? What what a waste <laughs> these repetitive stories that are bizarre, like totally bizarre. Um, and even and I think even for some of you know maybe the original readers I don't know here's but like even for some of the I don't know. Um, and even if I do end up uh, like seeing Christ in them, it, is not the maybe is the best outcome. I walk away and go oh yes, this really long long story shows me that Jesus was going to come and die. And, and, you know, like, and I go, yep, it's, it is true. This is true. What Chad Bird said was true. But if I read like Romans or the letter to the Thessalonians, I'm like, it shows me sort of how to live in society and how to bring the truth to Christ to bear in my, my daily life. So can you, can you give me something there? Can you get (laughs) me in the old Testament? We're more than just saying, Oh Yes. It was pointing towards Jesus. I agree. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I,
1: there's multiple answers that I could give. I guess the first one that I'd start out with is that, uh, and I talk about this, I think maybe in the first chapter or introduction or something that it it was, it was the Bible of the, of Jesus in the early church, what we call the old Testament, of course, that was, that was their scriptures. Mm. And so, uh, for them, you know, there was no Romans, there was no Galatians, there was mm. no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so when they read these stories, which yeah are often repetitive and long-winded and full of all sorts of kind of strange images and ideas, uh, for them, this was like us reading Romans. Or it was like us reading First John. Mm. So the way that they read that was akin to the way that we now read the New Testament. Mm. And everything that they needed to know was basically there already. Mm. So I think that's one, one way you can answer that. Another is that, and this is one of my, my soap boxes I get on all the time. In fact, it's kind of a, the subject of my weekly videos that I do. And that is that, okay, you like the New Testament. Good. I do too. You can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. Because all of the particular language that's used, uh, I mean, sometimes like the explicit language that's used is we might think we just understand it from the New Testament, but we really don't. The only way we understand things like atonement yeah. and and law and good news and even the simple title Christ, the only way we understand that is through the prism of the Old Testament. I mean, Christ just means anointed. Well, what does that mean? Well, we, the only way we know that is from Mashiach, the Hebrew word for the anointed, which, of course, goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Mm-hmm. Uh the only way we know what atonement is, is by virtue of Leviticus. The only way we know what Jesus is talking about on the Mount of Transfiguration when he and Moses and Elijah are talking about his exodus is like, oh, well, from the book of Exodus and all the other exiles that we have there. In other words, reading the New Testament is, is wonderful, and it is sort of a, a shorthand for the Old Testament. In language, it seems more familiar to us, but to really fully read the New Testament and not underread it we need to know the old testament because mm-hmm. it's going to be that necessary background to mm-hmm. grapple with everything that's being taught and of course if you you know if you're one of those brave souls who wants to go into revelation if you want to go into revelation without the old testament good luck you're not going to understand anything <laughs> <laughs> because john because john can't can't write a single verse without dipping his pen into ezekiel or daniel or isaiah or or somebody else so uh yeah uh i mean that's an extreme example revelation is but i'd say the same thing about the rest of the gospels you gotta you gotta have that background if you're really going to understand what the new testament's all about
0: so like i forget it was like spurgeon or tyndale or something like this said something like Spin or Chesterton—I don't remember who said this—but it's like every everyone has this on their bookmarker, right? It's like spend much, m- spend much time in books, but many much, much more time in the Bible or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, could uh, I feel like someone could functionally say in their mind, "I'm going to spend much time in the Old Testament, but I'm going to spend m- most of my time in the New Testament. I'm going to, I'm going to get the I'm going to get the historical background, if you will. So even like as someone who they might read a book on like Greco-Roman history to understand Corinth, Mm -hmm. right? And then, but then they get into the realness of Corinthians. How, how does that not become the same? How do, how do I not just read the old Testament? How do I not just read the old Testament, like chapters and chapters and chapters, So I, it'll better, I mean, it's a bad question, but you could do something with it, right? But like to not just- Yeah, it's kind of like an
1: introduction to the New Testament. Yeah, like how can you- Necessary background. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that you can do that. And that's, I mean, that is one of the things I try and demonstrate in various ways throughout the book by understanding that all of these various parts of the Old Testament, rather than simply preparing us for Christ- actually preach christ to us now if you read a greco-roman introduction to whatever it might be you know the culture of corinth or yeah. whatever whatever well that, that's fine but you're not reading first corinthians you're not reading second corinthians <laughs> when you're reading that you're not expecting god to speak to you from the pages yeah. of this introduction yeah, yeah, yeah. but when you're reading isaiah or when you're reading the psalms or whatever you're reading from the old testament you're actually reading god speaking to you Mm. just like if you were to read romans you're hearing god you're hearing Mm. god speaking Mm. to you so in that way yeah we don't ever want to treat it as if it's simply to be used the old testament Mm. as if it's to be used to better understand the new testament rather we approach the scriptures uh all the scriptures genesis to revelation as divine speech to us you know it's a it's it's not so much that we're even studying the scriptures as the the scriptures are as it were teaching us we're sitting at their feet and they are engaging in teaching and preaching of us so Mm -hmm. we often we often like to think as if we're the subject the bible's the object we're doing the verbs with regard to the bible and we get it exactly backwards Mm -hmm. because the scriptures are the subject and we're the object the scriptures are scripturing, teaching, revealing to us. And so we, we really kind of tend to think that it's exactly backwards as to what it, what it actually is. Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm like, okay, here's like super practical lived out. I listen to this podcast and they're like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to just go, I'm going to go dip in the Old Testament. And I'm not for just historical recon, but because it's the word of God, this is what Jesus read. And, you know, I don't have that long. I'm just going to, I'm going to open up to numbers. I'm just going to open up to the middle of the numbers. And I got, I probably got time for, and I'm going to give it all of my heart here. Lord, teach me. And I crack open, like, and I'm able to read one or two chapters in numbers. Right. And I'm like, and I was like, what did I get? What did I have I get no here? idea what I just read. <laughs> right? What? Like what? So, I mean, so I guess how do how do I read? How do I like that's an example of right? Like I could picture someone being encouraged by this interview. Oh going sure. and then leaving right. and be like, ah, never mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let me uh let me uh, engage in a little bit of uh advertisement if I could. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> Two resources I think would be would be helpful for uh for people. First of all, if you don't know very much about the old testament, but you want to know more. Or if you don't know anything about the Old Testament, but want to know more, or if you do, if you know, you think you have a pretty good idea, but you know, you have some kind of blanks in there and you, you have trouble kind of keeping the whole big story in your mind. Mm-hmm. We, two friends and I, both uh, with 1517, we put together what's called a field guide to the Bible. Mm. And it covers the entire Old Testament and New Testament in just a few episodes. I think the Old Testament has 10, 12 episodes, something like that. And then the new Testament has a few, few less than that. And what we do is we take the whole story and we compress it into these episodes so mm-hmm. that, you know, once you listen to whatever it is, 20 or 25 episodes, you have the entire biblical story mm-hmm. in, in your head. Mm-hmm. So that's one resource that you can use because it's helpful. I think to have a big picture before you look yeah. at the, you know, the little picture of numbers 11 and 12 or something. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if that, is uh intriguing you and you want to learn more then that is a very reason that dan and i do 40 minutes in the old testament yeah we go verse by verse chapter by chapter beginning with genesis one we're in we're in first kings whatever now first mm-hmm. kings three or four <laughs> and uh we have literally tackled every we've tackled whatever you're reading in numbers or <laughs> whatever odd Sacrificial thing you're reading about in Leviticus. I mean, we've dealt with all of it, yeah. And uh, we're always making little runs into the New Testament yeah. to to show mm-hmm. show the connection there. Mm-hmm. So I think those resources would would help. And if, even if you you know you're not a podcast person, which if you're not, I don't know why you're listening to this. But <laughs> if you're, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not wanting to think on another podcast, <laughs> then uh, I guess my best encouragement would be simply to stick with it. Okay, you read those two chapters, or read two more, and then two more. And yeah. then the more that you're sinking yourself into the scriptures, I think the more that you're going to begin to see these kind of interconnections between the so testaments. Good.
0: So good. So I we started the episode explaining how I was listening 40 minutes in the old testament, and and you guys just like this literally the spirit was pleased to use that episode about Jacob and Esau. I don't, you know. I don't want to make you feel like the Ramones where you get on stage and I put the guitar in your hand and I say, okay, play, play Blitzkrieg bop. You know, I don't want to make you, but if you can, if you don't feel dorky, can you just give us a little overview of, of sort of maybe what potentially could be there behind that story of Jacob and Esau and the blessing and clothing and
1: yeah, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of a uh, whole Jacob story. In fact, uh, I just, my next book, which will come out next summer, is called Limping with God. It's the life of Jacob. So yes. I, had, I had a lot of fun with that particular part of Jacob's life because it, it's just a fantastic example of how what the Bible does over and over it will take this story that's full of intrigue and just human selfishness and lies. And just all the kind of nastiness of humanity. I mean, all it's all there in that particular story. You've got, you got a mom and dad playing favorites. You got one son who's kind of a lout. You know, he's just like, yeah, he, that's Esau. He just, he, he just, he's the stoner in the basement. He really is. He's like, I'm going to go kill some deer, dad. <laughs> and we're, only, we're told his dad loves him only because he liked venison. That's the only reason we're given for why. Isaac preferred <laughs> so, so, you get this dysfunctional totally screwed up family everybody's looking out for themselves and in the midst of it all God is making sure that his will is done that's the, that's the beauty of all that and Amen. you see that over and over we're in 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 40 minutes right now where we just finished the story of David's death and Solomon's accession to the throne talk about a messed up story <laughs> right. you know David's about to die. He's in bed with this teenage virgin. He gives a hit list to Solomon. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. But what is God doing? God God's using this whole messed up story to make sure that his man's on the throne. Mm-hmm. So anyway, back to Jacob and Esau. Uh, yeah, you've, so Jacob is all looking out for number one. He, he's always been looking out for number one. His name is indicative of that. You know, he's the heel grabber. He's the supplanter. He's the deceiver. And so he finally deceives his own dad takes the Lord's name in vain in the process by saying, you know, the Lord provided me with this deer, which isn't (laughs) even a deer. It's a goat. (laughs) And love it. And then you can just imagine, you know, the moms in the background, peeping, peeping in, making sure her son does it right. Anyway. So in the end, yeah, Jacob receives a blessing and, uh, and Esau, Esau doesn't. But (laughs) what, what I think you're remembering from the podcast is that, we are no different Mm. what happens jacob this sinner this deceiver this good for nothing Mm. he receives the blessing of his older brother by pretending to be that older brother by being clothed like his older brother Mm. by smelling like his older brother by having the gifts of his older brother and we are exactly the same, except in our case, we are clothed in the righteousness, clothed in the, the clothing of our older brother, Jesus. Come on. And we, we receive the, the blessing of the Father because of that. Not because, not because God is blind, but because God is pleased to bestow that up, upon us, us who are no better than Jacob. We, but here we are uh, looking and smelling and sounding just like our older brother, Jesus.
0: I love that so much. And this is why it's good. It's not because it's like some new theological thing that has, I learned in my mind. It's like, because I very much identify with Jacob. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. and then like, it really stirs me and it, it caused the, Makes the good news seem even more good, and it's like, just like, and it made no, and but it made no sense. Like, why in the world was he clothed? He had these weird skin on him and clothed, and you could even nuance that. Like, an, an animal had to be cut, you know, and bled. Sure. You know, you could, yeah. you could go anywhere. And at what point, you know, it's up to if there's an whatever. But then just to be clothed in our elder brother who deserved the blessing and we didn't deserve it and it's just so uh, that really stirred me and I've got to tell you ever since I I shared that with my wife one night and we read every night we just read like um and you could rebuke me but we read my kids are really small like ages one to eight so we read like uh It's called like the beginner's Bible. It's just the stories. It's just the stories. Okay. But anyway. I used to do
1: the same thing with my kids when they were real small.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. People rebuke me. I read them the King James. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So anyways, I read it with them and I say, all right, you guys, let's connect the dots. And brother, tears would come out of your eyes if you heard my eight-year-old daughter. She, and she's all, what about this, dad? And she will like what we call connect the dots. She'll see it. I don't even have to teacher, bro. And, and that was because of like listening to that podcast that happened and and it changed me. And then my wife is always in the background. Like she grew up Mormon and she's always just blown away. And there is something even more in my, for my own life, even more compelling than, Oh, the Virgin will conceive, you know, and they cast lots like, that's cool. But when I see literally brother, and and you, so you guys listen to this podcast, like every page points to him it's like if there is one apologetic it is the fact that christ is on like every page that the story is there so that's why i tickle your ear because it's like the most real things because you're hitting my love for god god's love for me and and like the wealth of my family so i thank you guys for the podcast and that book well i got carried away i'm sorry okay you said you said in your book quote I realized that just as the people today, including myself, are not good or bad, but a cocktail of both, so were my boyhood biblical heroes. The Goliath Slayer became the Uriah murderer. The obedient Ark Builder was also drunk, naked, Noah. And as and for devoted Ruth, what exactly happened on the threshing floor during her nocturnal risque rendezvous with Boaz?" End quote. <laughs> that is the question. Yeah. And they say, show, show me a hero and I'll write you a, tra- a tragedy. So, so having said that is, I am curious about this though. Is there a place, you know, and Matt Chandler made it clear, like his famous thing, like you're not, go Goli- you're not David. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's what you, you guys do on all the pages. So for those of us who get, okay, I'm not David. I'm like more like the, the shaking Hebrews. And once you get that but is there a place for anything besides, besides types and shadows? Is there a place for a hall of faith? Like, well, you know what, mm-hmm. but it was pretty cool that David being a, you know, just a kid, or yeah. does that fully go credit to God? Because God made sure his, you, you see what I'm saying there? I'm off. sure. Yo,
1: no, 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 no. I, I completely see what you're saying. Yeah. And I do think there's a place for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's kind of like, you know, Traditionally, when the church talked about the saints, and basically what we would refer to as like famous people in the tr- in church history, you might mm-hmm. say, but traditionally when people talked about the saints, they would hold them up as as models for us, which which I think is is great. You know, we we all grew up with some kind of role models. We we're, we're always practicing uh, imitation. Our our lives, are, are, are we're emulating someone, and yeah. ideally, it's someone that. You know, we want to. We look up to. We want to be like them, and we could do that with with the scriptures. It's not like you know. It's not like David was out murdering uh, a new Uriah every day or sleeping with another Bathsheba every day. Right, right. He did some great things, and there's plenty of good things that are done. There's plenty of of faithful characters in the scriptures. I'm not saying sinless, but faithful characters, mm. and we can look to them as models for what we pray the Lord would would do to us. Mm. Now. Where we go too far is when we, first of all, see them only as that, you know, as, as yeah. good good and bad. And in that way, of course, we just moralize the scriptures. So there is a place for that. And then the other way we go astray with that is we, is when we, when we look at them and don't, when we look at their, their failings and don't at the same time see the mercy and grace of Christ mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. operative in their lives, covering up for that, forgiving mm-hmm. them and, and helping mm-hmm. them. Uh, so, yeah there's a there's certainly a place for that mm. where you look at the you look at the old testament people ruth for instance with her fidelity or jonathan with his uh, fidelity yes yeah. and just love for david yeah. you know and there and there's a few other there's there's a, there's a there's a few old testament characters like uriah too but well there's not a negative word said about them mm. uriah ends up being the real hero of the story as, as far as i'm concerned in first mm. samuel i mean what a upstanding guy who was committed to the the ethic mm. of the soldier you know yeah <laughs> his true. his wife is like literally a block away she's right there beside the palace otherwise david wouldn't have seen her mm. and he don't he won't go home even when he gets drunk with david that night he still won't go home <laughs> he stays <laughs> right there on the on the palace steps uh, so i mean yeah i mean for uh, like if you if a soldier is looking for a good model to follow a christian soldier well look to uriah you know, mm-hmm. there's a guy who really understands the vocation of being, being a soldier and all the sacrifice mm-hmm. that that entails. So, uh, so there's a place for that. Yeah, there's a place for that in the scriptures. just like there's a place for all kinds of instruction as to how we are to live our lives as, as mm-hmm. Christians, as mm-hmm. Paul tells virtually all the churches that he that he writes to. Right. So as long as we have that in conjunction with all the other stuff we've yeah. been talking about with Christ in the Old Testament, then it's, it's a proper use of the scriptures.
0: So good. So we've been talking with Chad Bird about his book, the Christ key unlocking the centrality of Christ in the old Testament. And he's also the co-host of 40 minutes in the old Testament. I know I sounded like a bootlicking house, man, but you are, you, now you kind of hear what I'm saying, please, please buy that book and listen to the podcast brother. As we close out, I guess, I guess, a lot of the people listening to this podcast are people who already are in the word a lot or whatever, but we're all you know we might be married and our and our wives are just maybe they're just busy, you know what I mean, sure, sure. or yeah. just people who are ah, the Bible's just sort of confusing, you know the heart is willing, but the flesh is weak is there any sort of um how, how would you encourage them to, you know, what's that saying? Like the way to eat a cow is like one bite at a time or something. What's sort <laughs> yeah. of a good, like, you know what? If you could just add, at least do this one bite. Do you have any suggestions on that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's nothing wrong with taking the more easily digestible parts of the Old Testament first. You hey, know, way to uh, stick
0: with the theme there of eating. Yeah, yeah. You like well segment? done, you like bird. <laughs>
1: You know, go to Genesis, read Genesis. I mean, you've got oh my god, the, the narratives there are just amazing, just amazing stuff. Uh, so read Genesis. Uh, read the Psalms. Maybe read a book like Joshua. Or if you know, if you like kind of dark literature, read Judges. <laughs> I'm working on an article right now about the, the bad little town of Bethlehem, which <laughs> pulls from two two of those terrible stories at the end of Judges. So uh, anyway, so you you know. Read these. What you might think of was easier books, and then when you have time, yeah, dive a little bit into Hosea or maybe Ezekiel or you know take a few Proverbs, whatever, whatever it might be. But don't feel like you know I'm I'm gonna have I'm gonna read through the whole Old Testament this year, no matter what. Well, if you want to, good. But don't guilt yourself into doing that if you don't feel like you're ready for it. Just you know set aside a, a certain amount of time, whatever time you have, read that, and. uh when you have a chance mull about mull over it meditate on it think about it uh and uh just kind of build on that platform
0: so good this is the preacher in me i already said i was done but i, w- I decided one more because you brought it up but man can you share your insight on why maybe the this is actually really helpful why maybe the Calling the book of judges judges might not be the best uh label name for the book of judges. Maybe instead something like uh saviors or whatever might be yeah, buried. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Judges,
1: unfortunately, in our context, does not in any way conjure up <laughs> the image of a savior, right? You do not at you all. appear before a judge, you don't think to yourself, I'm gonna be saved. <laughs> but that's what the judges are in Hebrew. They're shofatim, which is just the plural of judges, but Their judges, the verb ordinarily associated with that noun, is not judging, but it's saving. Come on, in Hebrew, it's Yasha, which is the root of Yahoshua, Joshua, and of course, that's just the Hebrew name of Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. Joshua means the Lord saves. That's what the judges did; they saved, rescued, delivered. And so, I yeah, and if if I had my druthers, I would have called the book Deliverers. Or saviors Ooh, or something yeah. like that, yeah. because that's really what they what they did. They didn't go around
0: on in black robes making uh legal decisions. <laughs> Dude, even just knowing that you could now read Samson and it's a little bit more like oh okay. It's yeah, I
1: sure. You're yeah, like, can. okay, all right.
0: Brother, Merry Christmas
1: and thank you. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. True, yeah, Merry Christmas, we Christmas. We thank you. It's been great being home. on. Enjoy the conversation.
0: We came for salvation. We came for family, we came for all that's good, that's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to...